And I want to thank Pastor and uh, all the staff and the entire church for your kindness to us uh, while we've been here for these few days, and it has gone by very quickly, uh, but it's been very enjoyable for us, and uh, so glad to have my wife, Debbie. Would you stand just for a second? Is this a Sunday morning crowd? You might not have met my beautiful wife, but uh, there she is. She'll be back uh, at the table where the CDs and uh, her prayer booklet is. Some of you have heard about that and already picked it up uh, after the service. And so if you want to meet her, but also if there's anything from the table there that you want to uh, obtain, you're welcome to do that after the service or this afternoon, whatever it might be. But uh, the Cochran family has actually set an example to the Herbster family because uh, it's been generation after generation after generation. And I didn't have that. As you've heard, those of you who have been here the whole conference, I didn't trust the Lord till I was 18 years of age. And uh, my wife got saved as a child but never grew. And we got married when we were young and foolish, 20 and 19. And uh, it took uh, the Word of God to change us as we together studied the Word of God and grew in the Word of God. And I just want to tell you this. The Word of God works. May I tell you that? Get as much of the Word of God, inculcating your children the Word of God just constantly because God's Word works. And I'm so thankful for the way God has honored His Word in our marriage and in our family. And next weekend, I get the privilege of uh, doing another wedding for one of our uh, uh, grandchildren. And it's just so rewarding to see uh, another generation going on to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what uh, God wants for all of us. And my burden, my, my desire is to help uh, others learn the things that we learn from God's Word so that it can be uh, uh, helpful to them in their, in their families and their, their next generation. And oh, how we need strong families in our country today. I mean, in a country that's confused with what even a family is, oh, how we need to help them understand the truth of God's Word. And can I just ask you, uh, to commit to pray for our country in this election year. I, I work in Washington, D.C., and I just want you to pray specifically for a, a friend and brother in Christ who's in the midst of it. That's uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who actually uh, represents his district as Southland Christian Camp, where my son Mike is. And I've, Mike and I have known the Speaker since he was not even a member of Congress, and now he became a member of Congress and has served faithfully. And God in his providence put him in to be the Speaker of the House. And I don't know how many of you saw his first interview, but somebody asked, now what's your philosophy? What's your, what's your plans? What's, how, do you, how do you function? He said, well, here's what you need to do. And he told this on national TV. You need to take your Bible off the shelf and read it, and you'll understand where I'm coming from. Now, who would have ever dreamed that uh, in the top three people in our country, you know, President, Vice President, Speaker of the House, that we would have something that bold of uh, putting forth the truth of, of the Lord. So please uh, pray for those in authority over us and to pray for your representatives. Uh, get involved in encouraging them as well when they're taking a stand for righteousness. And every one of us need to pray and every one of us need to vote. And then after you vote, you need to pray, no matter who gets elected, that God will be merciful to us, a sinful nation. And uh, strong families will help our nation to survive. And strong families will make this church even greater than it is today. So I trust some of the things that we've shared with you will be a help 
and encouragement, but I'm telling you there's a lot more in God's Word that we all need to grab hold of and then apply because uh, if, you, if this book of the law shall not depart of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It's not just knowing, it is doing. And hopefully you've learned some things that you're going to do. And we'll be praying that that will be the case. Of course, we have a little connection here with the Matthews family. And, and last time we were here, we had a wedding here. And Nathan and Karis have now given us two great-grandchildren. So, you know, there's a little bit of our heart right here. Um, you know, kind of keep up with the Matthews a little bit to know what's happening with their grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. They're just young pups, but, you know, we, we're, uh, they're just in the grandchildren stage, but we're in the great-grandchildren stage. And uh, we, we look forward to having the opportunity to fellowship with you again along the trail. And when we do, do as some has even done during this week, came up and introduced himself and told me where they met me before or told me about their relationship with one of my family members or one of my sons. That always helps because when you come walking up and you say, remember me? You know, we don't want to lie. <laughs> and there are some people you'll never forget, I'm just telling you, but... Uh, sometimes we don't, but we were at Calvary, and we uh, were at that family conference, and we had a, a good time of uh, fellowship there. We would love to see you again along the trail somewhere. Well, we're going back to Ephesians. We spent a lot of time in Ephesians uh, because this is probably the passage that talks the most about the, the marriage and the family, a lot of other passages. Uh, but I, I, I want you to go to a, a verse in uh, chapter 5 and verse 18. Now, this is profound, and I hope that you're awake this morning so you can grab a hold of this. But Ephesians 5 and verse 18 comes before Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Is that too profound for you to handle this morning? And by the way, Ephesians 5, 18 also comes before Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You got that? And so you're not going to be able to accomplish Ephesians 5, 22 through 32, 33, or Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, without Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. So let's read it together, and let's understand that this is a prerequisite for everything else that we've talked about. Of course, usually the Sunday morning crowd is the largest crowd at a conference like this. And whether you've come to any other session or whatever, it, 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 nothing will happen unless you get a hold of the truth of this morning. I've learned that through practical experience, not just from the teaching of God's Word, but in my own personal life. And I hope you've learned it too. Ephesians 5, starting verse 18, Be not drunk with wine was excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak unto yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, I am so thankful for the privilege Debbie and I have had to be here with these dear folks. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of the people here at this church, for the history of this church, the heritage that has been given even through the many years of faithful communication of the truth in this community. And I pray that we will, as uh, individual families, purpose to raise another generation that will live for you and that we will be found faithful until the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
In this day and age, there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of folks that have gotten false teaching about the Holy Spirit. There are some crazy, quacky things going on in the name of the Holy Spirit. But here's something I want to make sure we all understand. God, the Holy Spirit, is very, very important. And without God, the Holy Spirit, we're not going to accomplish anything. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is working within the church today. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who I trust is working in your heart and lives today. And without God, the Holy Spirit, working in your family, you're not going to have any success. And that's why God in His Word in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's my challenge to you. Don't program out the Holy Spirit from your lives just because some people are perverting the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There is God the Father, God the Son, and, say it with me, God the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that we understand this whole concept of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit of God. So what I hope we can do as we go through this passage of Scripture, realize what is the true meaning of being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the first thing we need to look at this morning. What is the meaning of being filled with the Spirit of God? And there's three aspects of the Holy Spirit. Three aspects of the Holy Spirit, and we need to understand the meaning of all three. First of all, number one, there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a time when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within man. Go back to um, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God, what? Dwells in you. Now, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside you, you don't have the Spirit of Christ inside you, then you're not a believer. That's what the Bible says. So does that help you understand when does the indwelling of the Spirit take place? When? Talk to me when. At the moment you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit God comes in to dwell with you. Now, remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, so don't go home and rebuke your children because they asked Jesus into their heart, okay? <laughs> because you get to God, you get the whole package. But technically speaking, Jesus Christ is now at the right hand of the Father, is he not? And aren't you glad? I sure am because he's making intercession for me. And I mess up. Right? By the way, so do you. We all do. And I'm glad I have a, a Savior who gave his life for me, shed his blood on the cross for me, so that I can be just as if I never sinned in the sight of holy God. Because that's the only reason I get to go to heaven, because of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're here and you're not sure you're going to heaven, the only way you're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Don't believe the lie of the devil. Oh, we're all getting there. We're all just going different ways. No, the Bible says very clearly there's only one way. Jesus is the only way. But here, friends, as you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not at the time of your salvation, and by the way, I didn't, because I just knew that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. I knew I couldn't get saved by my works. I put my faith in Christ. And boy, I was born again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. But I didn't understand all the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but that's what happened, and that's what gave me a peace. Because I had thought that you had to work your way to heaven. You know, big scales in the sky, and if your scales tip to the good side, you go to heaven, and go to the bad side, you go to hell. And boy, I didn't want to go to hell, so I tried to be pretty good. But none of us can be good enough. There's none righteous, no, not one. So Jesus paid the price for our sin. But the other thing that happened at the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in. So here's my question to you. How many of you sitting here in the auditorium this morning have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? I see your hands. What that means is you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You've been born again. You've been saved. And, and whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit is there. And praise the Lord for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing we need to understand in this meaning of the, the, the Spirit of God, being filled with the Spirit of God. The second one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the one that's gotten all perverted. You probably heard the, the teaching by the charismatics today that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is some second blessing that you pray for, you tarry for, you get zapped by and get uh, to where all of a sudden it proves that you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you're speaking in tongues or doing miraculous gifts or whatever else that might be. You know, it's, it's not the truth. It's not what the Bible teaches. And so we need to make sure we understand what the Bible says about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and when it happens. So now go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And probably everybody in this room knows somebody that's in the charismatic movement today. And so at least take note of this so that when you're having these discussions, you can just kindly talk to them about what the Bible says what, versus what their preacher says. Because you remember something. It's not because I say it that it matters. Nope. You, that's why you bring your Bibles to church and check it out. And sad to say, some people are going to churches or preachers are saying all kinds of things that are not according to the Bible. And uh, in Kansas City, I'd every once in a while say something uh, on purpose that was wrong just to see if anybody challenged me. Now, I've corrected it before the end of the service, but I said, Y'all going to sit there like a bump on the log and let me say that? Should be jumping up and saying, no, no, you know, because I want to make sure you don't park your brains at the door when you come walking in. Because you answer to God. I'm no Protestant pope. You got to make, you have to have your own beliefs. And, and here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and notice verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, here's my question to you. All who? All who? Oh, everybody's afraid to say. Well, who was 1 Corinthians written to? Believers, Christians, the Christians at Corinth, and to all those who would call upon the name of the Lord in the days to come. That's all of you that just raised your hand. Because you've called upon the name of the Lord, right? And you've had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? 
Well, guess what? You also have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to pray and tarry and, and do certain things or get zapped by a certain person to somehow get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when Jesus, when God makes you one with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. When, when the Holy Spirit makes us part of the body of Christ. We're baptized, totally immersed into the body of Christ. Why is that important? Because God doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He that knew no sin hath become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God through him. Remember, we're told in Revelation that nothing that defiles shall go to heaven. And sin defiles. So I need to have my sin covered. And I have through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on Calvary. But he has then made me a part of the body of Christ. You see that throughout the New Testament. And because I'm a part of the body of Christ, totally baptized, totally immersed in the body of Christ, I'm going to heaven. Because God sees me just as if I never sinned. So how many of you in this auditorium this morning uh, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? May I see your hands? If you just raise your hand, you're saved. You have the baptism whether you really... You do! That's, you've been made one with Christ. And by the way, this whole confusion about you know, spiritual gifts, remember there are certain sign gifts, gifts that were given to verify the, the, the message of the, of the apostles. I was preaching one time on those sign gifts, and I, I said to the people here, there in Kansas City, you know, we, the, the sign gifts were given to authenticate the message of the apostles, and because they didn't have the completed scriptures, so they had to authenticate the message, and it was authenticated through the sign gifts that proved that they were sent from God because they needed to authenticate it since they didn't have, where, like we have, where you can read it from the Bible. Remember, men, we need help. Remember this? Well, I went home from the service, and as a good wife, she encouraged me and said that was a great message, but could I ask you where you got the word authenticate? I said, well, to verify, to prove. She said, no, not authenticate. It is. Oh, some of you didn't even catch it, did you? <laughs> I didn't either, obviously. I was so dumb. Man, I hope none of you are like me. I was so dumb, I went to, got to get a dictionary to prove her wrong. <laughs> now, she was the English major. I'm the math major. So I'm just telling you, that was dumb on my part. And I had to go back Sunday night and apologize to the congregation for authenticating all over them. I didn't want to ruin the next generation of young people. Oh, we authenticate. It's authentic. And I'm so, but, but you know the point. The point is that's what the sign gifts were given for. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 22. And I wish I had more time, but this is not the point of the message. But I just want you to understand this because we're in a society that's being taken over by some in the charismatic movement. I mean, well-meaning folks, but listen, what does the Bible say? That's what we go back to. And look at verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a, a sign. They're one of the sign gifts, okay? Now, notice the rest of the verse. Not to them that believe. How many of your Bibles say that? All of them, by the way. Not to them that believe. Now, what is the modern charismatic movement teaching? Uh, they're teaching that uh, tongues are a sign to believers that you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Contrary to what the Bible says, what does the Bible say? But to them that believe not. It was to the unbelieving, and specifically the unbelieving Jews, a a fulfillment of prophecy there in Acts chapter 2 where they spoke and everybody heard in their own language. That's tongues. It's not jibber-jabberish. It's everyone hearing in their own language. Have you been to the United Nations? It's the United Nations, you know, earphones without electronics. Because God doesn't need electronics to do miracles. That's what tongues are. And so tongues are a sign to unbelievers that the apostles were authenticating them. No, no, they were authenticating the message. I learned my lesson, okay? That they were verifying the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, verifying the message of the apostles. That's what the sign gifts were for. So every one of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the third one, back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Because the third one is the filling of the Spirit. And, And this is where we're focusing this morning is in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what does uh, the Bible say? It says, don't be drunk with wine or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I wish I had time to park on the first part of this verse. Because I still believe it's wrong to drink alcohol. I still believe you should totally abstain from alcohol. I believe I can prove it from Scripture. But some people today say the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking alcohol as long as you do it in moderation. And I know different people believe different ways. If they want to be wrong, that's their business. You know what? I, I can't. But could you hold on? Because e- now you know what I believe. Did I make it clear what I believe? But even if the Bible didn't teach total abstinence, which I believe it does, look not on the wine when it moves in the cups. Wine is a mocker, strong drinks are raging. Those that are deceived thereby are not wise. And by the way, if you never take a drink of alcohol, you'll never get drunk. I know I like Diet Coke, um, but I'm not going to get drunk on Diet Coke. And I might lose some brain cells, my wife tells me. I tell her I've got enough, I can spare a few, you know, because uh, I like Diet Coke. Uh, She's getting me more on water in my old age, which is probably the best thing. But, you know... Let's say you're one of these that believes that, okay, you can drink in moderation, but what if you drink in moderation and somebody else sees you as a Christian drinking in moderation and they decide it's okay as a Christian to drink? And if the truth is given, you know, the statistics say one out of every 10 people that take the first drink become a a drunk. And you as a Christian were the one that caused them to take that drink and they became a drunk. Who caused them to stumble? Just look up the word stumbling block and uh, go look through the Bible and see what it says about us causing somebody else to stumble. So even if you don't believe like me that Bible teaches total abstinence, don't be drunk with wine, I'm telling you just the fact that you could be a stumbling block to somebody ought to keep you from ever touching a drop of alcohol. Now, I know, you good people can remember, agree to disagree. And again, but I'm... I haven't talked to anybody about it, and I was in the business world, and I saw drunks. How many of you have ever seen somebody drunk? Uh, and what, what is, happens to a person that gets drunk? What happens to them? What takes over? Are they acting like they normally would act? 
I mean, I've seen very distinguished businessmen act like fools, drooling all over themselves. What happens? Because it's an illustration here. This is what this is all about, and it's an important illustration. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the control of alcohol. But rather, be filled with the Spirit. Does that help you? Don't be controlled by alcohol or anything else, a substance that's going to take control of you, but instead be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. That is the meaning of being filled with the Spirit. Be under the control of God Almighty through His Holy Spirit. And that's the command. And what's very interesting here, I believe that that happens the moment you got saved or you wouldn't have gotten saved. You got totally under the control of the Holy Spirit and you believed. Your eyes were open, you believed. But here's the interesting thing about this, this verse and that verb. It's present tense, dirty of action, which means be continually filled with the Spirit. A lot of those in 1 John some of you may have studied. But here, it's the same thing. It's that dirty, keep being filled with the Spirit. In other words, you could be filled with the Spirit today and not be filled with the Spirit this afternoon. Because you lose the filling because you're not staying under the control of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, folks, in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, we need people that are filled with the Spirit of God. Controlled by the truth of God's Word. Controlled by the Spirit that brings those convictions and teaches and all the good things of John chapter 16 that it talks about. Now... I want you to see the test that is given here in this passage of Scripture. I say it this way, the marks of being filled with the Spirit. We looked at the meaning of being filled with the Spirit. Now I want you to consider the marks of being filled with the Spirit, which I think are all given to us right here in this passage of Scripture. Look what he says. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, this is, could be maybe better translated, it's, it's speaking to among yourselves. It's speaking one to another. It's not saying speaking to yourself. Oh, Carl, how are you feeling today? Is the service going well? Are the people listening to you? Are you? you know, and sometimes I might be thinking that, but he's not talking about speaking just to speaking to yourselves amongst, amongst Christians. Here's, here's the point. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will enjoy Christian fellowship. You won't, you enjoy, you, you look for, and by the way, I've been here long enough to see there's a lot of people that are enjoying Christian fellowship. And you little, have a little pie and ice cream with it, it even goes better. Right? I mean, haven't we not had a good time? Hasn't there been good fellowship? Haven't people stayed around for a long time? I mean, it's just, it's, that's a good sign, okay? And I, I don't know what's, where you are personally, but it looks to me like there's some people that enjoy being with each other. Great! That's good! Because that's a mark of being filled with the Spirit. And I, pastors probably had this. You maybe have had this. Y'all don't have to go to church to be saved. Now, is that true? Yeah, that's true. I got saved on the living room floor in Flint, Michigan. You know, but if you get saved and the Holy Spirit comes in, you'll have a desire to be with Christians. And guess where Christians meet on Sundays? And so I can't say, but if you don't have a desire to be with other Christians then I question your salvation. And I definitely know you're not filled with the Spirit. And sometimes that can happen because we're in conviction and we just don't, oh, I don't want to see anybody because I'm not living. I understand all that. 
But it's, it's a mark of being filled with the Spirit that you enjoy Christian fellowship. It's also a mark that you have praise on your lips. Look what he says. Speaking to yourselves one to another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, you'll love to praise the Lord through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I can tell a lot about a Christian school by how the young people sing in chapel. And I'm telling you, it's important. I can tell a lot about a church by the way they sing. Now, I wasn't setting up here. What Sometimes they put me on the platform, so I couldn't really sing. I didn't, I, I mean, watch you sing. So I, I don't know if there's anybody back there, you know, bless me, I dare you, you know. I'm not going to sing. No way am I going to sing. It's like sometimes, I know Wednesday nights are tough. I was in the business world. I understand Wednesday nights are tough, and I'm glad you provide meals sometimes for people to show up. I wish they would, we would have done that more in Kansas City. But, you know, you go you, you, back, and, and sometimes on Wednesday night at Tri-City, I'd have to get up and say, folks, I don't believe you, because they're singing, it's wonderful to be a Christian. It's wonderful to be God's child. It's wonderful to have you. And I'm thinking, whoa, tell your faces about it. I've worked a lot with young people, and I've enjoyed your young people. I've had a good time, and they've, none of them have done this. But sometimes chapels, I'll see them sitting on the back of their neck, you know. And, and I'll talk to them after chapel. What's bothering Nothing bothering me. Why do you think something's bothering me? Judge not that you be not judged, preacher. <laughs> well, do you know what the Bible says, young person? A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. So, I mean, and you know what else the Bible says? Judge righteous judgments. You know what else the Bible says? Those that are spiritual judge all things. You evaluate according to the Bible, but something's bothering you. Don't bother me. <laughs> well, tell your face about it. You see... Now, I know different people are, you know, happy, happy, happy all the time, you know. But, but I'm just talking about there, there ought to be a praise on your lips. You ought to be excited about the fact that Jesus has saved you, given you a home in heaven. And no matter how bad this world gets, and it's getting bad, I'm on the winning side. Jesus is coming soon. So keep your eyes on the Lord. And it, and he also says, not only a praise on your lips, but a joy in your heart. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, it's genuine. It's not fake. It's coming from the inside out. Because sometimes uh, we can be hypocrites by working on the outside and not working on the inside. Putting on airs. Not being genuine. Not being real. Remember when I talked to you about Child-rearing just an hour ago, the best thing you can do is be real. Young people can read fakes. You know, if you want to work with young people, the best way to work with young people is love them. When you love young people, and by the way, I do. Even as an old guy, I love Peter. I love their energy. I love their potential. Boy, you get that channeled. I just can't. I just love young people. And you know what? They can read it. If you're a fake, you're doing it because you have to and because this is my task, and after all, oh, well, you know, they read it. But it's amazing when they know you love them. It's amazing how they'll take the truth. Uh, I've talked to some of you about Tom Farrell, who was an evangelist that was in our church for 13 years and worked out of our church, and 
I know knew Tom and some of you heard in uh, Sunday school about my, my son's favorite preacher, favorite evangelist, or whatever you want to say. But have you ever sat under Tom Farrell's preaching? Anybody in here ever heard that guy rapid fire? I mean, he chews you up and spits you out. I mean, he nails you right where you're seated. And boy, he's preaching to all these young people at camp, and you think they're going to go out so upset with him. But you know what they can read from Tom Farrell? He loves them. And he wants them to do right. He wants them not to mess up their life. He doesn't want them to be a casualty. He wants them to be a success. And young people love somebody that's truthful with them and real. But it has to come from the heart. And only God can work on our heart. But if we're filled with the Spirit, that love is going to come out because there's that joy, there's that love down deep inside. And then there's a fourth thing. He gives thanks in all things. Verse 20. In everything, he gives thanks. And, uh, and this is uh, what God wants for us, a thankful person. You'll, you'll have a gratitude attitude. It's not going to be like a lot of Americans. You know, entitlement society is what we're in. You owe me. You've got to give me this. You've got to give me that. Oh, aren't you just grateful to be in the United States of America? All these people tried to pour. And I was born here. I'm an American citizen. I, I'm so thankful for what I do have. I'm so thankful for how God has taken care of me. And we need to have a, a thankful spirit, not a complaining spirit. And then in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There ought to be a unity of spirit. There ought to be a, a willingness to come under authority. And, you know, submitting yourselves one to another is important in the family. We need to work together as families and minister one to another as families and serve one another as families. And if you have that attitude, if you have that spirit, well, that's a good sign that you're filled with the spirit. And, of course, I don't have time to take you to uh, Galatians chapter 5. But I think you know in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, now the fruit of the spirit is... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. So you can write those verses down and read them for yourself, but I want to give you an illustration that I heard one time that's really helped me. And I'm glad they gave me some water up here. I'll take a little sip first. but um, I, Because this is a good way to use the illustration. And they, it, this is not filled to the brim with water, Okay. So, but, but uh, I'm, I'm going to use this as an illustration. I just want to, if this was filled to the brim with Diet Coke, you already heard how I feel about Diet Coke, right or wrong, you know, we can agree to disagree agreeably. If you're a Diet Pepsi person or you're a purist and you only drink water, it's okay. We'll be together in heaven. I hope we get along. But I'm going to use for illustration purpose that this is full of Diet Coke, Okay. And it, I mean, it's filled to the brim. And I'm trying to make sure that I don't spill any of it. And my wife would come up here, and she'd start hassling me. Now, this is just an illustration. would never happen with my wife. You know, she's always loving, kind, gracious. Well, there have been a few times. Baby, you have to admit that, don't you? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, but, or one of my sons. You've heard about my sons. I mean, they give me, or maybe the preacher. Oh, those preachers, they can be rough sometimes. And they kept pushing me around and everything else. Or somebody at work, 
everything. And, and all of a sudden, I start to get hassled. I get, start to be pushed around. I start to not get my way, and I'm starting to shake back and forth. Now, I'm glad this water wasn't filled to the brim, because if it was full of Diet Coke, and I was being pushed around, what would be coming out of the cup? Now, I'm not trying to make this hard. What would come out of the cup? Diet Coke, thank you. Okay, here's the illustration. And boy, this is convicting to me. If I'm filled with the Spirit and I start getting hassled, pushed around, made fun of, whatever else it might be that somebody else is doing to me, and I start shaking, and all of a sudden my cup starts to spill over, and I'm filled with the Spirit, you know what should come out? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I actually had somebody in our church make cups with uh, that verse on them and gave me one that I could have on my desk. Oh, how convicting sometimes. You know, when you're dealing with somebody and you're thinking, and all of a sudden, oh, uh, am I filled with the Spirit? Am I going to stay filled with the Spirit? Am I going to treat them the way God has treated me? You see, folks, all of us can lose the filling of the Spirit because every time we sin, we break fellowship with God. If we hide iniquity in our heart, He will not hear us. So it's very important that we get to the end here and make sure we know what is the method for being filled with the Spirit. Because it's something we need all the time. Remember, dirty of action, continually be filled with the Spirit. What is the method for being filled with the Spirit? Now, I like to use the little acrostic CPR. You have three numbers there. You could put C for number one, P for number two, and R for number three. CPR. Any medical people here that could tell me what CPR is? Okay, yes, sir. It's saving somebody's life. And you check me out, make sure I got it right. All of you medical people, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Is that correct? How many of you think that's correct? And it's used to save somebody, recitate somebody, resuscitate, recitate. There we go again. My wife will be talking to me after the service. I'm not careful. But recitation, it, 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 it is dealing with revival. It's reviving them. Right? Let me ask you something. Do we need revival? We need CPR. Every one of us needs to have CPR on a regular basis because what does C stand for? Confess your sins. You'll never be filled with the Spirit if you hang on to your sin. But if we confess our sin, say it with me, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And it cleanses from all unrighteousness. Can I give you another verse out of Proverbs 28, verse 13, which I used a, a lot with my sons. I've used a lot with children in Christian schools. I use it in my own life. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. In other words, if you just say, I don't have it, you're not going to prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. And all of us have been through confessing and forsaking, and then all of a sudden doing it again. 
Oh, right. You've been there, you know what I'm talking about. But aren't you glad the just man falls seven times and what does he do? Rises up again. And you can have victory. But we're still in the flesh. I'm sure be glad when we're in heaven. I don't have to battle with this flesh anymore. But you have to confess your sin. And then P, you have to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. God, does God want you filled with the Spirit? Yes or no? And so if you pray anything according to His will, that will He do. And so pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. I, t I taught our folks in Kansas City, it's spiritual breathing is what it is. It's learning to breathe spiritually. Physically, we breathe. We do two things. What do we do? I hope you know this. You inhale and exhale. But do you think about it? I mean, did you come in, now what's my first thing I need to do? What's the second thing I need to do? No. Naturally, you've gotten to the place where you just breathe. And I'm telling you, in our Christian walk, as we grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to get to the place where a wrong thought comes to our mind, we confess it and say, Lord, don't let me go down that trail. You start to have anger come up in your soul. Lord, get me under control. Help me speak kindly. You see how it's, uh, Lord, don't let me respond that way. I need you to control me. Just confessing and praying. Confessing and praying. All the time. And then here's the... Here's the one that sometimes we leave out. R. Rely on the Word of God. Rely on the Word of God. Because every time Jesus Christ was tempted, in Matthew chapter 4, in the wilderness, every time He was tempted, what did He do? They're right. He quoted Scripture. It is written... It is written. It is written. Why do we hide God's word in our heart according to Psalm 119 and verse 11? Say it with me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. The sword of the Spirit, our only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6, is what? The only offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit. Get the sword in your life and be ready to do battle with the devil. You see, now you know, men, why I told you to memorize Ephesians 5.25. Now, parents, you know why I said you need to memorize Ephesians 6.4. It, it's okay to memorize verses to win contests and uh, you know, get awards and ribbons and all that, but really the reason why you hide God's word in your heart is so you can fight off the devil. So you can be victorious. And when you're not victorious, you've relied upon the word, but you've, you've given in to sin again, what do you do? You confess and you pray and grab hold of some more verses so that you can be sure that you have the word of God hid in your heart so you not sin against God. Folks, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We don't need to be drunk with wine, but we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I uh, am a private pilot. I'm not current right now, but uh, I'm a private pilot and uh, enjoy just kind of doing floating around. And even when I was traveling to Christian school, sometimes I'd fly myself to those places and all that. And, and I just so thrilled to fly. But one of the things about flying, I don't know if there's any pilots here, but you know you have to do a biannual flight review. You have to do a medical and a biannual flight review. They lighten up on the medical 
that's good. But uh, you still have to do the biannual flight review. And they take you up to make sure that you can still fly and then you won't kill yourself or anybody else, and they put you through all kinds of maneuvers. Uh, but one of the things they do is sometimes they will make the engine die. They'll, they'll let the engine die, and you have to go into emergency procedures, go through the emergency procedures, and get in a position in a small Cessna 172 that I, I would take my biannual in as a good glider, and they put it into a glide slope, and you figure out how you're going to glide that plane, and then you look for a place to land. And by the way, being in Kansas City, there's plenty of places to land, <laughs> fields all over the place. But, and usually when you get down to 500 feet, they put the power back on, and you blow away. Well, this time I was going through the biannual flight review, and the power went off, and, and I said, we just lost engine. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm going to restart, you know, come with through all the procedures, but wouldn't restart. And I said, oh, man, we, we got a problem. He says, we sure do. What are you going to do? I said, well, I better put it in a glide slope, and then, you know, I'm, I've got to find a place to land. We need to find a place to land, and I, I don't want to mess up the plane. Where's, where, I mean, look, oh, look, over there. There's a, there, there happens to be a, a runway with two X's on both ends. Now, what does the X on both ends of a runway mean? Don't use it. But in, in place, and by the way, this should have tipped me off. Should have tipped me off looking back and all this. But I'm, I'm busy, you know, with this airplane, putting in a glide scope and going down. And, and I go around and I get it in my glide scope and go down, 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 down and land that plane without any power out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I said, he said, whew. And I said, whew. And I said, yeah. He said, good job. Thank you. And I said, well, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that we're down safe, but now what are we going to do? And he looked at me with a little smirk. Have any of you, any of you pilots gone through this? I, I tell this illustration a lot. I, don't, I, I haven't found anybody yet that's gone through this. I don't know if it's unique. But he said, why don't I turn the power back on? I said, what do you mean? Well, I shut off the gas. By the way, you need fuel to have power. And he said he had a little toggle switch in this airplane, this trainer plane, underneath his seat, and he would put it down with his foot and cut off the gasoline so that you had to go all the way and land the plane. If you did it right. <laughs> I'm sure if I was doing it wrong, he would have put that baby back on and restarted and everything else. And he turned the gas back on, and, and all of a sudden we soared like an eagle. We flew out because we had power. And without the fuel, we didn't have power. Can I tell you something? A lot of people are trying to fly on empty. The Holy Spirit is the power. Ye shall receive power after which the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Folks, God wants you to have the power. God wants you to be filled with the Spirit so that you can be the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife, the right kind of young person. You can have the right kind of family so we can have the right kind of church. Don't allow the confusion that's being created by the charismatic movement to keep you from being filled with the Spirit of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, uh, the piano is going to play and the organ the instruments are going to play. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you stand to your feet and
as some has already done and come to here and kneel at the front of the auditorium, maybe you want to come this morning, get on your knees and say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit today. Please, Lord, fill me up. And maybe there's some that, that you're here and you've never been born again. You don't have the Holy Spirit, but you would say, today, I, I want Jesus Christ to become my Savior. You come and let me talk to you or one of the pastors talk to you. But do you want the power? God can give you the power. All you have to do is fill her up. Would you quietly stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that he went away and didn't leave us comfortless, but he sent the Holy Spirit of God. Might we allow you to fill us with the Spirit so that we can live lives that be pleasing in your sight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and maybe you want to respond and come and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and say, fill me up, Lord. Practice some CPR right now, today. Right there where you're seated, maybe you didn't come into this, the, the service filled with the Spirit, but you say, boy, I sure want to go out filled with the Spirit. Fill me up, Lord. If you know the song, would you sing it with me? Spirit of the living God, fall flesh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. through just one more verse if it hasn't been your prayer would it make you make it uh, your prayer today but if you would be here and you say you know I'm not really even sure that I know Christ as my personal Savior I'm not confident that my sins are forgiven boy God wants all of us to know our sins are forgiven we're on our way to heaven that's why he gave us Jesus Christ. He said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Please don't leave this auditorium without having that assurance of your salvation. And go out of here filled with the Spirit and seek to walk in the Spirit so you'll not give in to the lust of the